0: Good morning, it's always good to be back in Manhattan and here at Westview. I have a question to start us off. If you could pick anyone's shoes to walk a mile, or if we're down in Ecuador a kilometer, because we're on the metric system there, whose would you pick and why? And I'd actually like you to share it with the person next to you or behind you in front of you. So if you could pick anyone's shoes in the whole world to walk a mile in, whose would you pick? Share that real quick. I bet one of my boys answered Messi or Ronaldo's cleats, uh, the famous soccer players over in Europe, as they live, breathe, eat, dream soccer. Uh, One of the other nights, they were sleep talking and I heard one of them say goal in his dreams. (laughs) And down in Ecuador, we do walk around a lot in cleats too, so that's the main sport down there. Today we are going to journey, though, a mile or two, tracing a king's last steps, while watching another take his first baby prophet steps. I chose to try on these shoes of uh, both King Uzziah and Isaiah because their lives were so interconnected. One life, well really the death of King Uzziah, impacted the other very deeply. The last steps of the king were the first steps of the prophet and where he had to step up to take on a new role. The end of the king's life marked the beginning of the prophet's ministry. Isaiah served the southern kingdom at this time. Israel had already been divided into two kingdoms, Judah and Israel, and he served the southern kingdom as a prophet for 40 more years, and through four more kings in some pretty dire circumstances. Isaiah was tasked with warning the people to return to God before it's too late. They were on a slippery slope and about to be taken captive, yet most of his warnings fell on deaf ears. So let's take a look at how it all ended for King Uzziah, but started for Isaiah in Isaiah 6, chapter six, verses one through four. If you have your Bibles or you can join me on the screen. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord, he was sitting on a lofty throne, and I would actually like you guys to close your eyes to try to imagine the scene. So just actually listen to it, because I want you to try to imagine the scene, like paint it in your mind. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation and the entire building was filled with smoke. Now open your eyes and compare what you painted in your mind to the image on the screen. That is what Isaiah saw in his vision of the Lord. Now I have a question for you, when or where, with whom was the last time that you saw the Lord? It doesn't have to be as dramatic as Isaiah's. Maybe it was in a child's big, curious smile, like I witnessed when we were on the beach right before we flew back to Kansas and saw a little boy jump into his dad's arms, and the dad said, I'm here, I'll catch you. And it reminded me of our Heavenly Father's presence that's always there for us. Or maybe it was in some intricate, beautiful design, a part of his creation, like we also found on the beach of the sand dollars and the starfish that the boys and I found. Or maybe here in Kansas, the radiant sunflower patches or the beautiful sunsets. Maybe it was in a Bible verse that jumped off the page at you and into your heart, or through a song or conversation. Or maybe, like Isaiah, you saw God and were reminded of him in the death of someone or something. I imagine, as you'll see pictured here, that Isaiah felt a bit uprooted, like this tree that we saw when George and I went hiking through a microburst in Colorado a couple years back. any death leaves any of us a little uprooted, upended, overturned one way or another. And I imagine each of us have all our own stories of many like little deaths of a job or a house or a neighborhood or a friend moving away due to the COVID pandemic that we all went through. Or we might have stories of many, much deaths of family, friends, coworkers. Just this past Monday, we gathered as a family to celebrate and grieve the loss of my grandma's life here on earth, but we celebrate as she's in heaven. Unfortunately, it's something none of us can escape, and we all must face death. It's how we face it, though, that makes all the difference. How do we respond when we lose someone or something like Isaiah lost King Uzziah? We can turn our face down, drowning ourselves in grief and depression, which is okay for a little while while we're grieving, or we can turn our face in a million different directions, trying to live distracted from the pain. Or we can turn our face up like Isaiah did and see the Lord who's also looking down on him. Why would God choose this particular moment in Isaiah's life to call him such a traumatic event to get his attention? If we understand King Uzziah's life, we're gonna look at in Second Chronicles, he was the only king that Isaiah had known up to this point because he had reigned starting at the age of 16 for 52 years and his name means Uzziah's name means the Lord is my strength and for most of his life he actually lived that out but he started very well just like lots of runners start with so much enthusiasm on their race he started well but we'll see if we walk a few miles in his shoes that he didn't finish well so let's read in 2nd Chronicles now chapter 26, verse three through five, to get a little background on King Uzziah. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother was Jecoli from Jerusalem. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father, Amazon, had done. Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God. And as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. So we see he started well, but then if we jump to verse 16, But when he had become powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. May this serve as a warning. The Bible's full of all kinds of stories, the good, the bad, the ugly, Uh, some leaving us signs of what to do and what to be about. Others, like we see here, of what to avoid, like when we're driving down the Andes Mountains and there's the flashing red lights, don't go too close to the curve, it's a deep fall. Here, King Uzziah leaves us both, the secret to starting well and finishing is what we'll see. Verse five clues us in how to begin well. He sought the Lord, which led to his success. But then verse 16 serves as a warning to us that didn't end so happily for King Uzziah. He had a headfall, headlong downfall into pride, which ended his life with leprosy. At the end of his life, he only sought and saw more power, and the pride got the best of him which leads us to our first note for sermons, to start well and finish well depends on seeing well. So many start well, but few finish well. Let's be the ones here at Westview that start and finish well, that start and finish this race of faith that we're on strong. Let's avoid the pitfalls like we see here with King Uzziah of pride and power and prestige, and let's keep seeing and seeking Jesus because the pride that set in King Uzziah's heart took root there and eventually invaded his whole life, just like that leprous disease that covered his skin and destroyed his body at the end. Pride took him captive internally, where eventually his whole people group was led captive externally. In like manner, as you'll see pictured, uh, David and Angelica, who've given me permission to share their story, by the Christmas tree there, were taken captive and lured into adultery and almost destroyed their marriage and their family with three little kids. But they were invited to our couples' workshops that we offer through the Rock Family Center there in Cuenca and came at that desperate point in their marriage. And through a lot of counseling and discipleship, they both said, yes, we're not okay without God at the center of our lives and marriage. And they were able to rebuild their marriage. And now, and you'll see a picture in the next one, They invite other couples. We were able to share this Christmas dinner with our neighbors and invite other couples to hear their story and see the difference God can make. So no one is out of reach of God's love and mercy. We just need to see, like Isaiah did, his hand reaching out to ours in those moments. Just like Isaiah had to look up and see when his hero, his physical earthly hero of King Uzziah died, but God was right there. The perfect moment for God to arrive, call out to Isaiah, lead him, and fill that empty place. Did you notice in the first four verses of Isaiah 6 that he uses the word fill three different times? God loves to fill. So I ask you, where is an empty place in your life that God is wanting to fill? At times, God takes away or allows the loss of people, possessions, positions, places to be able to give us more of him. He wants us to dethrone any King Uzziah in our lives that are occupying that one throne that is rightfully his. So that the true King of Kings can reclaim that spot in our lives. So I ask you, is there a King Uzziah that needs to be dethroned from your life? so that God can be placed back on the throne in your heart. One of my King Uzziah's growing up was that I lost basketball. Basketball was my King Uzziah, I loved basketball, I dedicated most of my high school to that. And it was my up and coming career to play college was ended with an ACL tear and three surgeries later. And I was mad at God for taking what I most loved away from me for a while. But now I'm able to look back and thank God for that mini death of basketball because it opened my eyes to see him and want him more than anything else. And I had saw how I'd replaced God with basketball and I had to learn to replace God in my heart and in my life. And when I did that, he led me to K-State rowing, which paid for college, allowed me to travel and compete, and start a, what we called Holy Sweat Bible study. It started off with just three teammates meeting in my dorm room, and at the end of my rowing time, we had 20 teammates meeting together and studying the Bible. And so in a similar fashion, it wasn't the new that appeared here in Isaiah's life, but the disappearing of the old that opened his eyes to truly see God as King of King and Lord of Lords. Which is why God gave Isaiah this vision of seeing him on the throne high and lifted up. I imagine before this moment, whenever Isaiah saw a throne, he imagined King Uzziah on it because he had been king for so long. But now, after this vision, he saw the one true king. Because you know that how we see God affects everything. A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us because it determines everything else. I can tell you every time that I've said yes to God, my view of God has been amplified, Uh, like the amplified version of the Bible that always adds three or four more details or descriptions in every verse. Every time that I step out in faith and say yes to whatever God's showing me or leading me to, God expands my view of who he is. Saying yes to God 21 years ago, when George and I first received our call to go to Ecuador, opened my eyes to God is a God who calls and speaks into our lives. Then as we went, we saw that God was a God who provides the funds, the prayer network to support us. He provides a way through mudslides in the Andes Mountains to get to the airport on time. He provides a way for hearts that have been hardened to open up and receive him. He's a God who sustains us when we wanted to pack our bags and come back to Kansas. He's the God who answers seemingly impossible prayers. So how is God trying to get your attention these days? Are you seeing him? I imagine COVID, just like for us down in Ecuador, has served as a wake-up call for all of us. Our family experienced a lot of change and transition and loss in little ways, like the change in my routine from developing the family center and doing lots of counseling and teaching to becoming a homeschool mom of boys in virtual classes. George experienced the loss of the Sport Tech Soccer Academy that had to be shut down due to COVID and he had to reroute into finishing his master's in structural engineering, and now he's back in the engineering world. And so during those times, I had to learn to readjust my expectations while letting go of some of them. I learned that sometimes my expectations blinded me to seeing what God was doing and who God was. Just like you'll see in the next picture, I had to reopen my eyes. The boys' friends, all of us were kind of in lockdown. But then when it restarted opening, the boys were like, we really wanna see our friends. And we had a whole family center with basketball courts and soccer field. And so we started bit by bit inviting their friends over to start restart youth group. And I would take intentionally try to meet the moms when they would drop their kids off and build relationships with the moms. And now two of the moms come to our Women Warriors Bible study. So I had to reopen my eyes to different opportunities and just be more present with what was present right there in front of me. Let's see how Isaiah responded. In the next picture, you'll see another youth gathering with a bonfire. We've we've taught them s'mores, and now all the youth down there love s'mores. (laughs) And we'll see how Isaiah responded after his first encounter with God when God got his attention. We'll read now in verse five through seven. Then I said, it's all over, I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's army. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. The more clearly that Isaiah saw God, the more clearly he saw himself, which is the note the second note in our sermon notes. The more clearly we see God, the more clearly we also see ourselves. Isaiah quickly realized here that he was a sinful man in the presence of a holy God. And similar to our four-year-old Caleb, who sometimes gets caught red-handed doing something he's not supposed to do, he said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, that's how Isaiah felt. The only thing that Isaiah felt like he could do at this moment was state honestly what he was feeling. He confessed, expressing out loud what he felt on the inside. And when we confess, we're basically agreeing with God, like Isaiah, that we're undone, we're not okay, something's wrong, and that we need him to make it right, which is exactly what we see God doing here at the end of verse seven. God's response to Isaiah's honest confession was to forgive him, to cleanse his impure lips, to make him all right, to reach out and literally touch him and remove his guilt, to save him. Do you know that Isaiah's name means the Lord saves? And Isaiah, in his book, wrote 27 different times about salvation, which is two times more than any other Old Testament book. Our gracious God, though, didn't stop there with Isaiah. He kept going. First we see God opening Isaiah's eyes to see the Lord high and lifted up on his throne. Then we see him opening his mouth to announce the good news. And from Isaiah's changed heart and purified lips from this encounter with God, his mouth spoke some of the greatest prophecies and promises that we find about Jesus in the Old Testament. The first half of Isaiah is full of the warnings and the judgment that's gonna come, the captivity, but then the second half switches and is full of God's promises to rescue, redeem, and restore his people. Isn't our mouth such an indicator of how our heart's doing? What has your mouth been saying lately that shows what's going on inside your heart? Or maybe how has your mouth been saying those things that indicates what's going on? I confess sometimes my boys catch my tones and call me out saying, Mom, didn't you say we're supposed to use kind words and tones? Oops, sorry guys. One of my prayers daily is Psalm 1914. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I try to do that on a daily basis, as you'll see in the next picture. Um, Joel there is pictured with his two best friends. They're both Mateos. And um, when we invite them over, I try to have coffee time. Ecuadorians are very relational, and they want to always catch up for a little bit, and one time I was able to invite one of the Mateo's moms in for coffee, and she started sharing how her husband had a new job, and he lives on the coast in Ecuador, and they live up in the mountains where we are, and that they were going to have to live apart, and it was a really hard time for them, and so I was able to invite her to one of our women's Bible studies, and she started coming, and was encouraged that other women are struggling with similar things as well. And so she's finding hope by meeting with other women just because I was able to reach out to her and invite her over for coffee and listen to her story. You'll also see there that a picture of our youth Sunday school class. We just finished up the Experiencing God study with our youth. And it was great to see how God spoke into the different hearts and one of the gals, said, it's just so great to have a place where I can come and ask all my questions about God and keep learning about him. And we celebrated with ice cream topped waffles. And so may all of our eyes continue to be open to the lonely, the hurting, the doubting, the questioning people around us who are looking for someone's mouth to just open with a word of hope or faith or love. So let's take a look at what came out of Isaiah's mouth after this encounter. We'll read in verse eight and nine. Then I heard the Lord asking whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Isaiah speaking, here I am, send me. And he said, yes, go and say to this people. And so we see God not only opened Isaiah's eyes and mouth, but also opened his ears and his feet. We only truly see, which is our last note for in the sermon notes, we only truly see when our eyes, mouth, ears and feet are open to hear God calling, to hear God saying go here and being led. First his eyes were open to see God, then his mouth was open to speak about him, his ears were open to hear God's calling and finally his feet were open to go wherever God would lead. Isaiah modeled true faith by living a wide open life before God. Being open, willing to be, see, speak, and hear whatever God wanted. Let's look at the message of hope that God wanted Isaiah to speak about in the last verse. We're going to jump over to verse 13 in Isaiah 6. But as an oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. This holy seed was the message of hope that Isaiah was sent to speak about. A seed is a beautiful illustration of God's kingdom, just like this acorn seed that I found in my mom's yard In his paradoxical ways. Just like this seed had to fall from the big oak tree, it had to be buried underground, split open to then produce the new plant, the offshoot. So too in God's kingdom, from death and loss comes new life and gains. When something finishes, something else begins. With change, there is a possibility of newness. Jesus also modeled this when he came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for all of us. First experiencing several of his own falls on the way to Calvary, then his death on the cross, being buried in a tomb, but on the third day to rise again, to offer that new life for all of us to see, hear about, and speak about to others. This holy seed, we read a little bit more in Isaiah 11, verses 1 through t 1 through 2. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him: the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This offshoot from David's family is one of the prophecies about Jesus here. Jesus, full of the spirit, full of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, now is calling to each of us, just like he called to Isaiah. Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people today? Who will go for us? George and I answered that call, as you'll see in the next picture, 21 years ago, Almost to date as we sat here in a service like this listening to an Ecuadorian preach right from this spot, and we said, here we are, send us, we'll go. And we filled our six big suitcases, and with each step we saw how God filled in the rest of the blanks. Sometimes he filled our bellies with new foods like guinea pig, sometimes he filled our mouths with new languages like Spanish, he's filled our house with four new boys, <laughs> And each step along the way, we learned, um, in the next picture you'll see how different families, different people adopted us in. That was our first Costa Rican family when we lived in Costa Rica to learn Spanish, and now we've been adopted in by Peruvians, Venezuelans, Ecuadorians, Haitians, Brazilians, and every step, God has opened our eyes and our hearts to see and experience more of him. So what is your answer to the God who is still calling out today? Who will go for us? Maybe your go is across the street to your neighbor. Maybe your go is just across your house to your kid's bedroom. Maybe your go is across the state line to Missouri or Colorado. Or maybe your go requires a passport and to get on an airplane. Are you willing and open, like Isaiah, for your eyes, your mouth, your ears, and your feet to be open? For God to send you to relocate, reroute, return to God? with a wide open heart, say, yes, Lord, send me. Here I am. Isaiah lived a sent and spent life. How are we gonna live the one life we have? I pray and hope and end today with Isaiah 43.10 that we would live as signposts along the way that says, but you are my witnesses, O Israel, O Westview, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me believe in me and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been and there never will be. So we are called to be as witnesses, people who give testimony of what they've seen and heard and experienced of Jesus so that others like Donnie, who you'll see in the next picture, have an opportunity to also know and believe in Jesus. Donnie was one, she was probably Nathan's age, 14 when we first met her, and now she's 27, and um, she, We invited her to come over to youth group things in our neighborhood. But then her parents went through a nasty divorce and we kind of adopted her into our family. We needed an older sister figure to keep our four boys in line. And as we mentored her and discipled her, just a few years ago, she felt like she also had a call to missions. Last summer, she took a two-month internship over to the Middle East and brought the boys back uh, soccer jerseys from there. And she said that as she was there, God really confirmed that call, and now she's in Brazil finishing her seminary studies to be prepared to go in the next three years full-time over to the Middle East. In the next picture, you'll see a Zoom meeting that uh, one, one of my goes recently was over to my neighbors, Hulit, just to invite her over to coffee and meet her. And as I did that, she shared her story of um, different abuse that has happened in her life, and I was able to go through some recovery groups with her, and now she leads those groups because she wants to pass on what she's experienced. And finally, uh, Pastor Tebo, who um, was raised up to hand off our church plant to the Lighthouse Congregation. He's working full-time at a warehouse, but also pastors and coaches soccer some, and um, he's continuing to finish his online Bible classes to be ordained in this next year. And so those are ways that 18 years later we are seeing the ripple effect spread farther and wider through what you guys do here at Westview sending us to Ecuador. So that others like them may know and believe as well. And so we end today with what God's doing. Our next big yes is God's opening our eyes to the need for foster care and adoption in Ecuador, and we're networking with different cities to start that and step into those areas so you can pray for us on those fronts. So I'll ask you one more time, are you willing to say to God, here I am, send me, to see where, whom, he will say yes, go. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word, which always helps us see you in a new light. And just like Isaiah, we need to confess that we are not okay unless you are seated on the throne in our hearts. And so if there's anyone that needs to say, God, come into my life and make me right, I need you, I pray that they would be able to do that right now. And I also pray that you would open our eyes, our ears, our mouths and our feet to truly be open to whatever you want. I pray each person would ask, God, here I am. Send me, help me know my next go so that we may live in your fullness and be sent and spent, just like Isaiah. In your name we pray. Amen.